0: Welcome to the Steve Who's Benson Podcast. I'm Steve, the host of this podcast. It is a beautiful spring afternoon here in Colorado, the blue sky, the soft air, the promise of spring just uh, around the corner. I'm sitting here in my office yet again in my blue easy chair with my low-tech snowball microphone coming to you for this 16th episode of this podcast. I'm learning how to do a podcast. That's a lot of fun. Hey, when I first sat down and uh, decided to do something like this, I made a list of the people I wanted to interview. And someone who's on the top of this list was Judy Buhrer. Judy is a member here at Columbine United Church. But she is more than just a member. She is an inspiration. Uh, she's been battling cancer for these past few years. And in the middle of her cancer, she has been thriving in life. She has really discovered what it means to live and how to battle cancer from a position of optimism. And so I wanted to interview her. And I sat down the other day and did just that. And I wanted to share this with you so that hopefully in the middle of your life, you can find a sense of inspiration to face your challenges. The interview is just about 30 minutes, so you can sit back and kind of gauge your listening from that. You know, pop in the, your earbuds and go for a walk, walk the dog, do the dishes, clean the house, commute to work, do whatever, but take some time to give this a listen. I'm sure you'll find her inspiring as well. Here's Judy Buer. So, Judy, it's great to have you with me today. So tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, um, I grew up in Nebraska and went to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln and got my journalism degree there. And um, when I was working for the daily newspaper after I graduated, um, Wayne was also working there as a photographer. So we met because we started covering stories together. And um, one of the stories I remember best was the state fair, which was a lot of fun in in July, in hot Nebraska in July. But um, we uh, decided to ride the Ferris wheel together and take a little break from covering the fair so we were in the the chair and just as it was gliding up towards the top of the ferris wheel i said to wayne i said don't you dare rock this (laughs) (laughs) well when i got to know him better i knew that wasn't what i should have said
0: (laughs) how long were you all married
1: we were married for 53 and a half years
0: 53 and a half years wow Uh so you know one of the things that i wanted to to do with this interview is talk with you about the past couple years because you've had Mm -hmm. uh your, more than your fair share of pain and challenges that came into your life, and it kind of began with Wayne's illness and his death. Can you tell me a little bit about that, his illness?
1: Right, yeah. His illness, I think it actually started um, in um, late um, 2016, um, probably before I was diagnosed, which was on December 15th. And... Um, But it continued to progress, and we all just thought he had bronchitis, and and he was concerned about how weak his legs were. And um, finally, um, he was so sick when Heidi and I got home from Prague um, in um, late June that we took him to the ER and into the hospital, and they found out that he had acute myeloid leukemia, which... um, Meant that it was really advanced, and at his age, he was eighty-one. Um, the doctors didn't hold out much hope for him, but they did start chemo, and he had ten days of chemo treatment. And um, he was diagnosed on July fourth, and passed away on July twenty-seventh.
0: That's unbelievable. I know. That is so fast. That it's, is so quick.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. We were still trying to get our heads around his diagnosis when he you know um, came home from the hospital, and he was so sick that week that he was home that and we had to t- keep taking him down to mm-hmm. the hospital to get blood transfusions mm-hmm. and um so finally, we took him down, and they put him in i c u for about the last five days mm. How, does
0: it, how did his death affect you? Because you were, when were you diagnosed with cancer?
1: I was diagnosed December 15th in 2016. Uh-huh. So... Because um, um, you were
0: wrestling with your diagnosis for quite some time.
1: Right, for about six months. For
0: about six months. Mm-hmm. Because your original diagnosis was pretty intense, was it not?
1: Well, it was, yeah. At first they... Um, thought I had neuroendocrine cancer. I had three tumors and the biopsy, the liver, and that's when it came back as neuroendocrine cancer, and, uh, which is rare. Um, but the first oncologist that I had, when she told us about the diagnosis, she immediately started talking about prognosis and um, statistics and, you know, that if I took chemo, I would probably survive more than six months. Um, uh, I might make it to a year. So that was really hard to hear. And I didn't feel any connection to her or any sense of compassion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we found a new, another oncologist.
0: So from yeah. the very beginning, they were, t- they were telling you your life is limited.
1: Right, yeah.
0: You have a, Your life is going to have a finite end, and it's coming up. Sometime within six months to a year.
1: Right. Uh-huh. How did
0: you deal with that initial diagnosis? I mean,
1: well, did you
0: just kind of throw up your arms and say, no, I'm going to stop living? What did you do?
1: No, it was, um, it was one of those things that, that just pulls the rug right out from under you. You know, it was so um, scary. We were scared. We were sad. We cried a lot. And um, we held each other a lot. And... Um, It was totally overwhelming, Um, even before we got the diagnosis, because we were pretty sure it was cancer, but still the diagnosis was really hard to hear. Um, But after a couple of weeks, um, when I had my head around it a little better, (laughs) I decided I was going to live the same life I had been living before, that um, I wasn't going to let cancer define me define me, Mm -hmm. and I had started taking chemo, and it wasn't as horrible as I thought it would be. You know, I had some nausea, I had some fatigue, but after the first week, I was feeling pretty good again, and my chemo was every two and a half weeks. So there was a good week and a half there that I could go to Zumba or take walks or come to um, El Porvenir and Mission Committee meetings at the church, and... Um, my volunteer work with Colorado Press Women, I was able just to go ahead and get back into it. And by doing that, I think that gave me a lot more hope and strength and kept me from focusing on um, any prognosis. I decided after that I didn't want to hear any more prognosis.
0: (laughs) You you, you didn't want to have everybody tell you, look, you're going to die in six months. You're going to to die in a year. You didn't want to hear that. Why didn't you want to hear that?
1: Well, because... um, Um, In the first place, you never hear much about the people who survive, Uh you know, the big percentage is those who die earlier, but you never hear about the people who make it through. And um, um, there was a thesis written by an oncologist about the Twenty-five to thirty percent of people who survived, and they had several things in common. They exercised. um, They stayed involved and with their had continued to have a good social life. Um, They um, meditated. and uh, what else was it? I can't remember. I think it's those three major things, though.
0: So they exercised, they stayed involved in their community, and they meditated. Uh-huh. Wow. So, yeah. so the meditation was it. It's amazing yeah. to me how meditation is this key component of so many different things. Right.
1: Oh, the other one was yoga.
0: And Yoga? Too.
1: A lot of them did yoga, yeah.
0: Did you find yourself doing those things?
1: I did. Uh-huh. I hadn't been doing all those things except the meditation. Mm -hmm. So I kept trying to learn how to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. So you made a commitment. uh, You weren't going to let this diagnosis or this prognosis get in your way of what it is that you wanted to do.
1: Right. Uh Because
0: you set a goal. You wanted to go to Prague with with your daughter, correct? Yes. uh And and you ended up feeling good enough to go.
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. We had a great time. Yeah. (laughs) And then when I came back um, was when Wayne was so sick. Um, he was diagnosed on July 4th. I had surgery to remove two of the three tumors on July 5th, and um, and then the rest of the summer was really hard. After Wayne died, um, the 27th, and in in the meantime, um, the pathology on my tumors came back as ovarian cancer hmm. so I had to start a new regimen of chemotherapy um, but it was just it was you know losing Wayne um, was really tough to um, try to stay focused on on good things and try to be optimist. Op- an optimist about my life again Mm -hmm.
0: because you were dealing with the grief of losing wayne 53 years of of marriage Mm -hmm. so you were dealing with your cancer treatment your cancer prognosis you were coming back you had surgery to remove the tumors wayne dies Mm -hmm. so your whole world kind of crashes in on top of you
1: right yeah
0: How did you regain a sense of balance in your life, a sense of, because it would have been easy to just fold up camp and say, I'm done, this is just too much. What kept you going?
1: Well, I think um, the CUC community played a big part in it. All my friends here and um, people who I really didn't know very well, when I found out they were praying for me, I was just, um, I was really touched by that. Um And then I also have um, a, a lot of friends from press women in my neighborhood and um, other other dear friends that I've had for a long time. But um, all of that brought new friends into my life. and um, I just kind of felt like everywhere I went, just about, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was surrounded by, people who loved me and were praying for me and, um, patting me on the back, giving me hugs, you know, mm. um, just really, um, um, that was a really important factor in, um, regaining my positive attitude.
0: How, let's talk about the prayer for a few seconds. Um. What did it feel like? How did it affect you knowing that there were so many people praying for you?
1: It was just awesome, and I mean that in the literal sense of the word. It just awed me mm-hmm. to knowing that people that I hardly knew, and some that I didn't even, you know, know at all, were praying for me. How um, do you think?
0: How do you think that played into your healing?
1: Well, I think it really helped me to be more confident um, mm-hmm. and to. Um, Continue with my goals, and um, I spent a lot of time going to lunch and coffee mm-hmm, <laughs> with mm-hmm, friends and mm-hmm, new friends. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I do um, I never. I never did really spend a lot of time thinking about my cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this helped me get out of um, going into a cycle where I was. Thinking about it a lot because the diagnosis had changed, <clears throat> but having um, so many friends praying for me and spending time with me just really void um, me up. <laughs>
0: I so, so it's one of those things that lifted you up, knowing that there were other people praying for you.
1: Right? Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh.
0: So one of the things I want to do with the interview, this interview, is to ha- talk, have you talk with about other people about how to get through tough times, how to get through uh, cancer, how to get through depression, despair, job loss, because I think you've had such a unique approach to your whole treatment. Um, What would you say to people about the role of prayer and praying for people in the middle of hard times?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, um, It really is a powerful force. Um, And... um, I knew that, but knowing it on a personal level that mm-hmm. people are praying for you and that that powerful force is around you and it feels like it it's in you as well you know um, I know that sounds pretty hokey
0: no, it doesn't sound <laughs> hokey at all I mean that's exactly what prayer is is to, it's designed to surround a person who is going through medical issues, mental issues, life issues to surround them Mm -hmm. with kind of a healing light to to lift them up, to buoy them up in their life.
1: Right. And it really does. Um, One thing that helped me a lot early on was Garrett Ray, who was a member of our church and has passed away. He called me And we were talking about um, his daughter's liver cancer and my cancer. And he said, you know, Judy, don't be afraid to tell people. He said, you need to tell people because the more people you tell, the more compassion you'll receive.
0: Wow, that's great insight. Because I think we often as people want to get private, they don't want to talk about their cancer, they don't want to talk about what they're dealing with. And it's the exact opposite. The more that you can share, the more compassion you'll receive. I think and that's I, great advice.
1: I, I do, too, and it really has has been one of the factors that has kept me going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I think that is important for people who have just been diagnosed. And also, um, I think it's a good idea to research, you know, the type of cancer and the treatments out there, but not to... Um, let it distract you from other things, to other more positive things. Um, but I do think that people should get a second opinion as well because if they have um, an oncologist like the first one I had that um, has a more negative or projects a more negative um, mm-hmm. um, perspective of the disease, then I think... I think that would be really hard to go through chemo with a with a doctor like that. With um,
0: a negative thing hanging over you, saying, hey, "We're going to do this chemo, but really, you're only going to live for six months." Yeah, right. How positive is that? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Did you so find a second opinion? Ask a lot of questions. <laughs>
0: did Did you find that it was significant to surround yourself with positive people?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh huh.
0: Did you find yourself wanting to remove negative people from your life, people that were going to pull you down?
1: Um, yeah, I, right, yes. Um, there's um, a couple of people that I can think of who, you know, um, one of the comments you hear frequently is that people say, I'm so sorry, you have to deal with this. And they're sincere, they mean mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. and... And that's good to hear, that compassion that they're expressing. But if the person um, kind of centers on that same theme over and over, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I mean, being an object of pity. <laughs> right, right. Who wants the, to be an
0: object of pity?
1: Right, and that was a negative thing for me to hear. Right. And right. there were a few people who, who, uh, who were like that, and so I um <clears throat> didn't spend much time with them
0: <laughs> so here's the funny thing I, I didn't even think of this question did you find people saying to you a lot of dumb things stupid things because um, they were searching for the right words to right, say and they yeah. ended up saying things that, that you were like wow i didn't need to hear that
1: yeah i can't think of anything specifically um
0: Well, that's no problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to offend down. anybody
1: listening to this because <laughs> I actually can think of a couple of specific things.
0: <laughs>
1: and there's a kind, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I we're going right to dodge, <laughs> yeah, dodge that one. We're going to dodge that one completely. How <laughs> yeah. funny is that? That's good. <laughs> well, So how did your family respond? How did your kids respond?
1: Oh, my gosh. That was one of the hardest things we ever had to do was to tell our family, you know, um, <laughs> So when we did, there we were over at the house, and there were a lot of tears and sadness and everything. Um, um, but then, you know, and, they, and that was right before Christmas, you know, about a week and a half before Christmas. But then they all came around me for Christmas and decided we'd have Christmas at my house, but they'd bring all the food, and Chris came over and cleaned. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) fun. Yeah. So that was was really great. Um, And then the whole day at Christmas, nobody was talking about cancer or treatments or anything. Mm -hmm. We were just all having a good time together with them and with the grandkids and opening presents and eating too much and all the normal family things.
0: How did your grandkids respond to this? Because they're all old enough to kind of know and understand— Grandma's got cancer. How do they respond to this? And how have they responded throughout your entire illness?
1: Well, um, I'm not sure. You know, there's a lot that they don't know. There's mm-hmm. a lot. Um, um, and, I, and so I think that my kids have done that purposefully so they wouldn't get anxious and worry mm-hmm. about me and feel mm-hmm. sad, mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, when I lost my hair... Um, that was rough for a couple of my grandsons. Um, they didn't like seeing me bald, mm-hmm. especially the younger one. It, um, yeah, it really bothered him a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought he would think it was kind of funny or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, to, I don't know why. I was trying to make jokes about it, you know, and he wasn't laughing. Wasn't, <laughs> yeah. So
0: talk, you know, this is kind of a, um, a personal thing, but let me just kind of go. What mm-hmm. was it like to lose your hair?
1: Well, um, I had gotten—I had had longer hair, shoulder-length hair yeah, I when I was diagnosed, mm-hmm. and I'd gotten it cut short. What um, after I was diagnosed, and um, so when it started coming out, and my brush was full of hair, and my pillow had hair all over it and everything, um, I called my daughter Heidi and uh, my friend Karen Hardison and asked them if they would come over and shave my head. Wow. So they did, and we were all kind of laughing and joking about it. (laughs) And uh, Heidi took some pictures, and... um And I would look at myself in the mirror and and think, you know, I look kind of like an alien. (laughs) (laughs) But people gave me so many cute hats and scarves. And a member of church here gave me a really cute little brown wig that she had. And I wore that a lot. Um, And um, I'm going to be back on that. Same chemo drug starting tomorrow, so we'll go through it all over again. Oh wow!
0: <laughs> so tomorrow you start a new chemo.
1: Right. Yeah. Wow. But I still have all my hats and the wig and scarves. So good for
0: you. Because yeah. you know, I think you're um, you're sitting here smiling. You've got a garage door smile as you talk about <laughs> losing your hair, and I guess that's one of the things that has constantly not, amazed not only me but everybody around you. They mm-hmm. say. She is the most upbeat, the most positive person in the world. How can she be so positive in the middle of this dire, dire cancer diagnosis and treatment? How do you do it?
1: Well, I think that I I'm fortunate that I I think I was born a cockeyed optimist. A
0: cockeyed optimist, <laughs> yeah. That's and awesome a happy greater. kid.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it's always carried through and. Um, everyone in my family were, were was funny <laughs> um, so there were a lot of laughs and everything growing up even though my family had a lot of hardships too but um, I think um, receiving I think it's kind of symbiotic being around people that I know are praying for me and, and supporting me um, helps keep me happy and not centering on this terrible disease you Mm -hmm. know um i've had it for uh, i'm starting my third year with it now and i still don't think about it you know i don't wake up in the morning thinking you know god i have cancer what am i going to do today Mm -hmm. (laughs) and
0: did it take you a while to get to that point where you said oh my gosh i that you weren't constantly thinking about having cancer well
1: um it actually, I don't think it took very long at all once I started resuming all my activities, mm-hmm. and um, and being in um, an infusion room, you've probably been in one before, mm-hmm. where there's several people um, in um, recliners, you know, having with these infusion bags hanging from IVs, and. Um, I always enjoyed talking to the other um, cancer patients around me and hearing their stories. And they were all pretty positive too. Um, And um, there um, were some people who who weren't, um, but they were newly diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And one woman who was diagnosed and she was just really, really down, I tried to tell her that she was going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. You know, she was here for treatment and um, she had breast cancer, and there has been so much success with breast cancer treatment, <clears throat> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear more and more survivors. this survival rate is pretty high now, I mm-hmm. think. So um, just trying to give her some positive feedback. Um, um,
0: <laughs> Let me ask a question. So the key is, what advice would you give to somebody who's in the middle of a hard time, whether it's cancer, job loss, mental illness, or whatnot? What kind of advice would you give them to help them find a sense of optimism in their life? What would, what advice would you give to someone as far as how to find a sense of hope?
1: Um, well, I would give them the advice that Eret gave me to tell people about it and. Um, so that you receive that compassion and everything that will help ground you. Um, The other thing I would suggest is um, getting second opinions when um, you feel in your gut feeling that um, you need to hear something different, something else, you know, Um, and do some research um, so that you'll know what questions to ask.
0: So kind of to take charge of your own treatment and your own diagnosis. Don't just be passive, but to actually sit and and engage.
1: Right, absolutely, yeah. And the other thing I would encourage them to do is get out and exercise, whether it's going to to the gym and, and using the weights and the machines or if it's getting outside and walking or if it's doing a an exercise class like Zumba or, or whatever, just try to get some exercise mm-hmm. because you'll stimulate those endorphins mm-hmm. and those happy chemicals mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. our brains and, um, and, and meditation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do think meditation helps a lot too.
0: Good. Good. Um, one of the things that I want to talk a little bit about is resilience. Uh, I'll never forget one time in the hospital. You had, in fact, it was a recent time you were in the hospital. You were given a pretty dire diagnosis. You said they told you if you if you don't have surgery, you'll die in three days. Oh,
1: right. Yeah, this, this past December. Right. That yeah.
0: They. They. If you didn't do the surgery, that you were going to die. Right. And that even on the back end, the doctor didn't think that your prognosis was going to be very good. Right. And you told you told me. I'm pretty tough. I'm a tough lady. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: What do you think? What does that mean to you to be tough?
1: Um, I guess it means when you hear when you hear something like that, don't just accept it and think, "Oh, poor me." You know, mm-hmm. um, this is it. Um, um, but fortunately, I did have an option of having the surgery. Right. <laughs> if I knew I was going to die in three days. Then that would be that would be really tough. Um, I would have to surround myself with people like you and and other friends here and everything to help keep me tough (laughs) till the end, or just when to. I don't know. That's a whole other subject. But I think I think being tough when you have cancer is. just taking it one day at a time, one treatment at a time, because sooner or later, um, with me anyway, with my cancer, now that it has metastasized, um, the rest of my life is gonna be chasing the next chemo treatment or the Mm -hmm. next drug trial or the next new drug that comes on the market. Mm -hmm. Because um, although I feel like maybe I am pretty resilient cancer is just so dang resilient, Mm -hmm. you know. It's
0: relentless. That's one of the the terms we use, that cancer is just relentless. relentless.
1: It is, yeah. Sooner or later, it figures out a way it becomes, it it survives the chemo treatment, so you have to go find another one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I always loved is when you would come up to me and you said, I've survived another year. They thought I was going to be dead, and here I am, I'm alive.
1: Right. What did
0: it feel like to hit those big, huge, momentous times where it's like, I'm still alive?
1: Right, yeah, it it did feel great, and it still feels great, you know. <laughs> yeah. What
0: is your next big milestone that you want to hit? The
1: next big milestone that I want to hit... Do you mean healthwise or healthwise life? What are you wise? looking forward to? Well, um, you know, I wrote a book, and I had finished the book before I was diagnosed, and it was with an agent in 2017. Um, it's in a New great York. book. Oh, thank you.
0: It's a great book.
1: Oh, I'm glad you had a chance to yeah, read it. Yeah. So
0: it. let's plug your book. Give it. What's the title of the book?
1: Two years in Moscow. Dash. Russia's Early Struggles to Form a Democracy. And it's a memoir of the two years that Wayne and I were in Moscow, and I worked at um, the Moscow Times there. And the book is kind of centered around those stories that I covered and what was happening those two years.
0: I find the book very provocative. I'm right um, in the middle of it. I'm oh, absolutely loving the book. It's um, really good. It's good. really good. Yeah.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah. So that
0: was a big milestone. What's right. next?
1: Um, what's next is continuing to do the marketing for that. Uh-huh. You know, But also I have another book about my uncle and my mom's story. They have a pretty um, um, powerful story. And so I want to start that in a couple of months and <clears throat> get that written as soon as I clean off my desk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Talk to me about courage.
1: Courage.
0: What does it mean to, to be in the middle of a diagnosis like this and have courage to move on?
1: Well, I think that was me anyway. I never thought of myself as a courageous person, and I'm still not sure I do, but um, um, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that um, when you're in a crisis, um, you'll often learn more about yourself mm-hmm. than you did before and that you, you do have some courage, some inner courage and strength mm-hmm. and toughness, mm-hmm. you know, enough to say, yeah, I can, I can do this, you know. I'm going to get through this, you know, and then... Um, hug somebody and <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so someone's going through a tough time let's say it's cancer let's say it's ms let's say it's another pretty serious health diagnosis and they're feeling as though that they just can't go on that life has just become so heavy what would you say mm-hmm. to them
1: gosh i think i would just want to spend time with them and hug them and listen to them, mm-hmm. you know, ha- have them talk about it, get it all out as much as they can. Um,
0: what would you say to give, to give them hope?
1: To give them hope. I would tell them that um, they're never alone, mm-hmm. that God is always with them. My sister gave me this beautiful little wooden cross that says, Um, I am always with you or I am with you always and um, I have that hanging by my kitchen window Um, but I think remembering that and grounding yourself um, in your faith and in the compassion and love and support of your family and friends and community
0: good good so one of the Time where we need to bring come to an end with the, the interview. I want to thank you so much for being here. Give us some final well, words of wisdom and insight.
1: Oh, my gosh. Some final words of wisdom. Um, well, cancer is not all bad because it has brought me so many friendships, wonderful friendships.
0: Cancer's not all that bad. Look at you. <laughs> You're in the middle of this life treatment, and cancer is not all that bad.
1: Well, I, it actually, you know, there are a few gifts from cancer, and it is that um, having that kind of a support um, has been a terrific gift for me, and and also being able to support others through their illnesses. You know, I think um, I've often thought that um, one of the things that I would like to do is is go to cancer treatment centers where... Um, and talk to people who have just been diagnosed mm-hmm. and try to lift them up and, and be um, a helpful resource for them. Mm-hmm.
0: Using your own cancer as a way of reaching out and touching other people.
1: Right. Uh-huh. And
0: inspiring them. Well, Judy, you are such an inspiration to me. You're an inspiration to so many people. You, um, you help us all have perspective of life. You know, I look at you. People, other people look at you and say, you know, look at her optimism. Look at her sense of strength. Look at her courage. If Judy can face cancer and these, you know, repeated diagnoses that say or that you're you're not going to live, you're not going to live. And yet in the middle of it, you keep smiling. You keep laughing. You keep staying positive. You know, it's like, if Judy can do this, then I can do this. I can face whatever is is I'm mm-hmm. facing. And it's people like you that keep the rest of us hopeful about life.
1: Well, I feel very humbled about that, but I'm, I'm glad that it's having that effect on people. Um,
0: that's good. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. <laughs> well, Judy, thank you so much for being here and allow, allowing me to interview you. You've been this has been a real treat.
1: Well, thank you, Steve.
0: Now you know why Judy is such a special person to have here at Columbine United Church, and I'm grateful that she's a part of my life. Hey, if you have other people that you think I should be uh, interviewing for this podcast, please let me know. I would love to uh, hear what's going on in other people's lives. And if you have something that you would like for me to uh, do a podcast on, let me know that as well. Hey, I hope you're having a great week, a great day. Blessings and peace upon you. Bye.